Well, it is Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and his robe filled the temple, and seraphim were standing above him. Each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the temple. And the foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices. And the temple was filled with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphs flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he'd taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now this has touched your lips. Your wickedness is removed and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who should I send? Who will go for me? I said, here I am, send me. And he replied, go. Say to these people, keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Dull the minds of these people, deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. Then I said, Until when, Lord? And he replied, Until the cities lie in ruins, without inhabitants, houses are without people, the land is ruined and desolate, and the Lord drives the people far away, leaving a great emptiness in the land. And though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again, like the terebinth or the oak that leaves a stump when felled, the holy seed is the stump. And now, from the New Testament, John chapter 12, verse 37. Even though he'd performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe him. But this was to fulfill the words of Isaiah, the prophet, who said... Lord, who has believed our message? And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? This is why they are unable to believe. Because Isaiah also said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and be converted, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. Nevertheless, many did believe in him, even among the rulers. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, so they would not be banned from the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Our 
Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you tonight as our King, our ruler, our Father who knows what is best for us. Quieten our hearts and rid our minds of things that are distracting and help us to see you tonight, to see you in all your glory. In Jesus' name. I want to ask you whether you've ever had what I call a, a, a wow moment. There's moments in life where your breath is just taken away. I remember being in, a, in South Africa on a safari. I was on this jeep and out of nowhere, this, this, this majestic lion just appeared. If you've ever seen a lion in a wild, it just takes your breath away. And this lion, literally, he, he pounced on his prey. He devoured his prey. And I sat there, and I was literally shaking. I was like, wow. And I felt so small and so weak before this majestic, powerful animal. I, I remember uh, I was standing in the Grand Canyon. You ever been to the Grand Canyon? It just kind of like, whoo. And as you stand there amongst the vastness of the canyon, you feel about this big. You feel so, so small. It just took my breath away. I remember uh, meeting, for the first time, one of my Christian heroes, a man called John Stott. And as I was about to meet him, I felt like a nervous teenager on their first date. You know, he walked through the door and I was like, oh, it's him. Because when you're face to face with somebody who you have deep respect for, deep regard for, it's kind of like this wow moment. I remember um, it's about a month after I've been converted, a month after I became a Christian, and I'm in a church in London, just off Trafalgar Square. It's a beautiful church, majestic church, amazing acoustics. And I've gone to a concert, I've gone to hear one of my favorite pieces of music, Fores Requiem. And this soloist stood up to sing P.A. Yezu. And I just sat there with, with tears streaming down my face as I pondered the grace of my God. I, I remember it was about six months after I'd been a Christian and I had stuffed up big time. I'm sure you felt this. You have sinned so badly. And I sat in my room, just me and my Bible, and I read Luke 15, I was reading the prodigal son, and there's this one verse that talks about the father running to meet his son with his arms wide open. And I just pondered my God and his grace, and I thought, God, I don't deserve that. I took my breath away. And I don't know whether you've had that wow moment with God. There's moments in your relationship with God where you, you ponder who he is and you, you ponder his glory and you ponder his grace and you ponder his mercy and you ponder his, his majesty and you feel about this big. But your mind is going, wow, 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 God. Now, when you think about the God who, who flung the stars into space, but he, he knows you by name, and he knows every hair on your head, you're supposed to go, wow, God. 
And when you think about the God who parted the Red Sea to, to rescue his people, and then he flung his son on the cross for you, you're supposed to think, wow, God, you do that for me. See, I want to say, friends, that if you have a, a small view of God, if you've got a, a limited view of God, or if the God that you claim to worship is, is small and, and puny and, and impotent, then don't be surprised if your faith is small and puny and impotent. Don't don't be surprised if your faith is shallow. Don't be surprised if your faith is kind of mediocre and a bit sort of ho-hum and a bit boring. But if you've got a big view of God, if if you've grasped how majestic and mighty and powerful and gracious and holy he is, when when you see that word trust, Remember that word trust? They believe in him, depend on him, rely on him, trust him. If your God is big, then that word trust has meaning, doesn't it? Especially in the difficult times, you know, especially in the times of life where, where life is tough and you're facing trials and you're facing tragedy or disaster or depression or bereavement or just the, the difficult moments of life. If your God is small, if your God is, is puny, then don't be surprised if you find it hard to trust him. But if your God is big, yes, it will be tough. Yes, there will be pain. But you go, my God is big enough for this. And tonight we're going to meet a big God. A big God from Isaiah chapter 6. So turn to it, page 626 in your Bibles. I'm going to read the first verse. In the year that King Uzziah died. That's important. You've got to get the context right. The year that King Uzziah died is 740 BC. And if you were an Israelite, you would have enjoyed 52 years of peace and prosperity under King Uzziah. He was a good king. But now he's dead. And the next king is bad. King Jotham is a bad king. King Ahaz is a bad king. So you've got a bad king on the throne in Judah. And you've got a bad king on the throne in Assyria, your enemies. So a new king comes to Assyria. His name is is Tiglath-Pileser III. And he is evil. So you've got a bad king in Judah, an evil king in Assyria... And if you were here last week, we heard what God's people were like. Remember that? Isaiah chapter 1, God says, I'm like a father to you, but you're like these defiant, disobedient, evil kids. Isaiah chapter 1, God says, you're like these dumb, stupid farm animals. You just don't obey me. You don't get me. Well, the scary bit from Isaiah chapter 1 is verses 10 to 15. Remember those verses? God looks at his people and says, you know, you come to the temple... And you offer sacrifices, but you know what? I hate it. I hate your sacrifices. I hate your new moon festivals. I hate all your religious activities because your hearts are far from me. That's the context. A bad king, evil enemies, and a defiant, hypocritical people. And Adar says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. 
I saw God. I had a vision of God. He doesn't see God face to face because no one can see God face to face and live. But he has a vision of a God. It's a vision of a, of a throne, a throne for a king. And the Lord is seated on a high and lofty throne and his robe filled the temple. And this vision of God is big. And Azar sees God on a throne. That's really important, isn't it? God is always on his throne. Please remember that. No matter what happens in life, God's always on his throne. God never leaves his throne. No, king A has not, is not king. God is king. Tiglath Pileser III is not king. God is king. Your enemy is not king. God is king. God's on his throne. God is sovereign. He's high. He's lifted up. It's a picture of power and authority. And I love verse 1, his robe filled the temple, or literally the, the hem of his robe filled the temple. Now this church building is, is quite small, isn't it? But the temple complex was massive. And so if, in Isaiah's vision, the, the hem of the robe of God fills the entire temple. You're supposed to go, wow, God is just enormous. But it's bigger than that. Because the temple is a place where God is said to dwell with his people. If you want to meet with God, you go to the temple. So if the robe of God fills the temple, Isaiah is saying that God is still with his people. God is still with his people on his throne right at the center of their lives. And perhaps you know that tonight, that God's still on his throne and he's still with you. And you're supposed to go, wow. Wow, that is awesome. That's the reaction of the seraphim in verse 2, the, the heavenly creatures, verse 2. They are standing above him. Not, not more important than God, but they're like his groupies, his attendants. And each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face because he can't see God. He's too holy. And with two he covered his feet because they can't stand in the presence of this holy God. And with two, they flew. It's kind of like the excitement. They are, they are buzzing around, bouncing off the walls, and they are praising, and they're adoring, and they're in awe of God. And then they sing, verse 3. Now, what do these heavenly creatures sing? They don't sing... Hold me close, let your love surround me. And they don't sing, Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, it's all about me, God. Do they sing about themselves? When you are face to face with a majestic, glorious God, you do not sing about yourself, do you? They sing about God. And they don't sing about his greatness, they don't sing about his love, they don't even sing about his grace or his mercy or his kindness or his compassion. What do they sing? They sing, holy, 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 Lord God almighty, early in the morning our song will rise to thee, holy, 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 merciful and mighty, 
God in three persons, blessed trinity. That's what they sing, isn't it? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts and his glory, his weightiness, his majesty fills the whole earth. As they see God, they see his holiness, his otherness, his infinite greatness, his infinite purity, his transcendental otherness. He is like no other. In the Bible, when you want to emphasize something, you repeat words. It's called a superlative. Like we might say, good, better, best. Tall, taller, tallest. You have different words. In the Bible, if you want to repeat things or emphasize things, you repeat the same word. You say, good, good. Tall, tall. And the Bible does say, we talk about God, love, love, grace, grace, kind, kind, compassion, compassion. Only one word in the Bible is ever repeated three times about God. It's not grace, it's not love, it's not kindness, it's the word holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Because our God is not just holy, he's not just holier, he is holier than all holiness. And when you've grasped that about God... When you gaze into the holiness of God, it should take your breath away. See, I think that Israel made the mistake of forgetting that God was holy. I'm sure they remember that God was powerful and that God was gracious, but they'd forgotten that they were called to worship and to obey a holy God. And I just wonder whether we've made the same mistake. You know, we talk lots about God's love and God's care and God's kindness. And we do what we can to make church accessible to people. And we talk about how God wants to be your friend. And that's all true. But the God who wants to be your friend is a holy God, isn't he? He's a pure God. He's a perfect God. As we gather to worship him, is, is your heart full of awe and reverence? Do you bow before him and adore him as a holy, holy, holy God? So when you see him like that, you're supposed to go, wow, how on earth can I actually enter his presence? It's pretty clear for Isaiah verse 4, the foundation of the doorway shook Kind of like no entry. And the temple filled with smoke so he couldn't see this holy God. So what hope is there for us? I've got three C's tonight. Here's the first one. A confession. A deep awareness of your sin. When you're face to face with a a holy, holy, holy God. He exposes all your depravity, all your darkness, all your failings, all your sin, all your shame. And Isaiah is kind of left shaking his head with shame and sadness and disgust and desperation. Do you see that in verse 5? As he sees the holy God, he says, Woe is me, for I'm ruined, I am wretched. It reminds me of 
Remember Peter, the Apostle Peter, when he'd seen Jesus catch that miraculous catch? And what does, Jesus, what does Peter say to Jesus? Go away from me. Go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Now, when, you, when you're face to face before a holy God, he does expose your, your dirt, doesn't he? He does expose your shame. He does expose your failings, doesn't he? You cannot stand before him and think, oh, I'm okay. Because we're not okay. I love this picture. I love it for lots of reasons. I love it because the Queen's there. I love it because it's England winning the World Cup in 1966, which is about the only sporting thing we've ever won in our entire lives. But what I love is, is, is this picture of the Queen who's wearing these perfect, pure, white, pristine gloves. And this guy is a guy called Bobby Moore, who's the captain of England. And if you watch the video clip beforehand, you can watch it, you can go and YouTube it tonight. As Bobby Moore walks up the steps to, to receive the trophy, he's doing this. You see the guy behind him doing that? And in an interview, Bobby Moore says, as I walked up the steps, all I could see was the queen with his beautiful white pristine gloves. And I looked at my hands and they were dirty and they were full of mud. And I was just trying to get rid of all this dirt. And you know, that is like the best example of us before a holy God, isn't it? If you've actually seen him in all his purity, all his perfection, all his glory, then you know that your hands are dirty. You know that your heart is dirty. You know that you don't deserve to shake his hand to, to be welcomed by him. Yes? See what Isaiah does is he falls before his God and he says, Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I was thinking this week, why does he focus on his lips? It could be because he's a, a prophet or a messenger. It could be that, but I think he focuses on the lips because the lips carry words and the words are a window into our heart. That's what the Bible says, your words are a window into your heart. Jesus said, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Matthew chapter 12. And what Jesus is saying there is that people can't see your heart, but they can hear your words. And so when your words are sarcastic and when your words are gossip and slander and rage and cynicism and blasphemy and swearing, it really exposes what's happening here in your heart. And as I said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and I'm going to say, so am I. And so are you. I love the prayer book. I love liturgy. This is the confession from the 1662 BCP. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things and judge of all people. We acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we have most grievously committed against you by thought and word and deed against thy divine majesty, provoking most justly thy wrath and thy indignation against us, we earnestly repent 
and are heartily sorry for all these misdoings. And you've seen the Lord in all his glory. Like Isaiah, you say, woe is me, I am ruined. The second C is cleansing. Isaiah has a profound experience of God's grace. And so can you. What struck me this week is that Isaiah had no expectation of forgiveness, did he? Isaiah didn't even ask for mercy. He couldn't clean himself up. God forgave him because God was gracious. And again, it's a bit like Bobby Moore, isn't it? Why did Bobby Moore bother to do this as he faced the queen? What's he doing by doing this? He's trying to clean himself up, isn't he? But all he's doing is just just rubbing the mud around his, his jumper. His hands are still dirty. What's extraordinary in the photo is not that Bobby Moore bothered to clean himself up. What's extraordinary is that the queen didn't flinch in extending her white pristine gloves out to Bobby Moore. And what's extraordinary about you and me is not that we bother to try and clean ourselves up. What's extraordinary is that God doesn't flinch. In opening his arms to us and offering us forgiveness. See that in verse 6? One of the, uh, the seraphim flew to me and in his hand was a, a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. That is the, the altar of sacrifice, the altar where the, the animal sacrifices were made, the, the place where uh, an animal was sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people. To turn away God's wrath at the sins of the people. And he touched my mouth with the coal and said. Now that this has touched your lips. Your wickedness is removed. And your sin is atoned for. On those precious words. Your wickedness is removed. Gone. Obliterated. See no more. And your sin is paid for. Your sin is covered. God's anger at your sin has been dealt with. And Isaiah is forgiven. And Isaiah is what Israel could be. Isaiah is a picture of what God's people could be. No matter how bad Israel had been, no matter what they'd done, how disgusting they were, how defiant they were, how rebellious they were, Isaiah says, it's possible to be forgiven. God can forgive you, you know. I want to say, church, what Isaiah experienced, you and I can experience, can't we? No matter what you've done, No matter how bad you think you are, no matter how disgusted you are with yourself, no matter how much other people say that you are disgusting, God looks at you and says, I will forgive you and I can forgive you. Not not a coal from the altar, but a son on the cross. And God says, oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Come to the altar. Come to Jesus. Come to the cross and experience forgiveness and experience healing and experience your sins being atoned for. I want to ask you, church, do you believe that? 
Do you believe that a holy, holy, holy God can look at you and say, your wickedness is gone and your sins are terrible? Do you trust that God's done that for you? So here's the litmus test. Do you go through life claiming to trust in Christ, but being weighed down and burdened by the guilt of some sin, past or present, thinking that you know, God could never forgive me for that. I meet lots of Christians like that, you know. They claim to be Christians, they claim to believe in Jesus, but it's like they've got this baggage that they're carrying around, and they will not leave it at Calvary. They just feel guilty the whole time. Just leave it there. He's paid it all. Or maybe like me, you, know, you subtly think that you can contribute in some way towards your sins being atoned for. Maybe like Bobby Moore, you think you can you know, get rid of some of your dirt so your hands aren't quite as dirty. We're good at that, aren't we? Our Bible reading and our prayer life and our church. And we subtly think, oh no, this contributes in some way towards my atonement. It doesn't. Contributes nothing. Jesus paid it all. So have you experienced the extravagant grace of God in Christ? Here's my third C. A commission. An eager desire to serve. I love the transformation in Isaiah. He, he sees the Holy Lord. He says, woe is me, I'm ruined. But then God speaks again in verse 8. He, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who should I send? Who will go for us? Note the Trinitarian God there. Who will go for us, says God. And I imagine that Isaiah is a bit like that sort of little preschooler going, Me, me, pick me. Here I am, God, send me, he says. I don't care where you send me. I don't care how you send me. I don't care when you're going to send me. I just want to go, God. Does that blow you away? That when your heart has been cleansed, when you've experienced the extravagant grace of God, you've just got this inbuilt desire, this eagerness. I want to serve you, God. And I, I think back to my early days as a Christian. You remember when you first met Christ, if you're a Christian here tonight? When you first understood the, the depth of God's love for you, when you first experienced the depth of God's forgiveness, when you've experienced his extravagant grace, that there's something in you, you kind of go, wow! And you're bursting to tell people, I want to talk to that person and that person. And that. I don't care who I talk to, just give me people to talk to. But Isaiah's message is pretty depressing, isn't it? Verse 9. He replied, God replied, well, go and say to these people, keep listening, but don't understand. Keep looking, but don't perceive. Dull the minds of these people, deafen their ears, blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. I don't think God is saying that's the message to preach. I think he's saying, Isaiah... As you preach about my holiness and as you preach about my grace and forgiveness, people will not like it. As you talk about me and my throne, people won't understand. As you talk more about my love and my grace and my compassion, people will block their ears, 
don't want to hear, don't want to hear. It's extraordinary, isn't it? God says to Isaiah, you will preach and people will hate it. And that's what you see in the next few chapters. Isaiah preached, but God's people refused to listen. And then Jesus came and Jesus spoke in parables, didn't he? And he quotes Isaiah chapter 6. Because he's saying, as I preach about the kingdom, I'm sifting people. And not everyone's going to like it. And so when Jesus said, come, follow me, what did the people say? Crucify him. Crucify him. And that's what we should expect today, you know. As we talk about the grace of God, I, I do find this extraordinary. As you talk about a holy God who actually has loved us enough to come to earth, as you talk about God's forgiveness and God's kindness and God's compassion and God's grace, you find people say, oh, I don't like that. I don't want to hear that. I remember talking to someone about forgiveness and they were offended. They were offended by God's forgiveness. They said, I don't need forgiven. We shouldn't be surprised when people don't like the most beautiful message in history. And Isaiah says, verse 11, well, for how long, Lord? And God says, well, until cities lie in ruins and people are deported and land will be ravaged and there'll be devastation and destruction and people moving further and further and further away from God. That's what we need, verse 13. A glimmer of hope. God says, though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again. I'm going to destroy it again. But like an oak that has been felled, a stump will remain, and a stump is a symbol of tragedy, but a symbol of hope, because there's new life, a chance of recovery, a chance of a sprout, and a holy seed is that stump. That is the promise. We're looking for the holy seed. We're looking for the hope of Israel. Isaiah 7, verse 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and have a son. And his name will be Emmanuel. God with us. Isn't that amazing? That's the holy seed. That's the stump. His name is Jesus. He is the one whose government are on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. That's the hope that the Holy God doesn't just give his robe to the temple, the Holy God gives his son to our world. And when you've experienced Jesus, when you've met Jesus, when you've experienced his extravagant grace and his extravagant love, you should be like Isaiah saying, here I am Lord, send me. I don't care where, I don't care who, just send me. Send me to my triathlon club, send me to the schoolyard, send me to the workplace, send me to the cafes, send me to my brothers and sisters and parents who, don't, who do not yet know you, send me to Indonesia, send me wherever, I don't care Lord, just send me. And we go knowing that we will face opposition and knowing that people will not listen. But in some ways it is different, I love this verse from Acts 28. Acts twenty-eight, twenty-eight. God says, 
Let it be known to you that this saving work of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Aren't they great words? And they will listen. Israel did not listen, but the Gentiles will listen. See, I, I think we ask the question, oh, oh, will they listen if I go? It's the wrong question. Some of them will listen, yeah? The question is, will I, will I go? And so I'm here tonight, friends, to say, if you've experienced the grace and the kindness and mercy of a holy God, will you go? This week, will you go out into your week? Just eager to talk about how big your God is. He's on his throne. He is holy. And talk about his forgiveness and his kindness and his grace. I say it again, if you've got a small view of God, a shallow view of God, your faith will be shallow. So open your minds. See God on his throne in all his glory, in all his holiness. And do that word, trust. Just trust him. Let me pray.